This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. You're here on Well, Well, Well with Jacinta and Jack, and we are now joined by Amelia Arnold and Tilly Marnie from Women's Health in the North to talk everything about Sexual Health Month. Uh, first of all, welcome. Can you tell us about yourselves and what you do? Thanks for having us, Jacinta and Jack. It's nice to be here. <laughs> Tilly, do you want to give us a little bit of an overview as someone who's been at Win a little bit longer than I have? Yeah, so Women's Health in the North is the health promotion and advocacy organisation for the Northern Metro region of Melbourne, focusing on supporting the gender equity, health and wellbeing of women and gender diverse people. Um, so we work across four priority areas, uh, gender equality, prevention of gender-based violence, mental health and wellbeing and sexual and reproductive health. And we also do a bit of work in economic equality. Mm. Yeah, Amelia and I are part of the sexual and reproductive health team at WIN uh, and are very passionate about that area. Yeah, it's our special month as well, Sexual Health Month, hooray! Yeah. (laughs) Which also happens to coincide with Bisexual Visibility Month, so it's our extra special month. It sure does, (laughs) yeah. And what kind of work do you do in health promotion, in sexual health and reproductive health? Is it you know, talking with communities, creating programs, creating campaigns, like what kind of stuff do you do? So in health promotion in sexual and reproductive health, we really focus on the upstream um, and primary prevention of poor sexual and reproductive health outcomes. Uh, So this is referring to strategies to prevent people becoming sick before it occurs. Mm. You know, we know that uh, a lot of health inequities are largely determined by factors outside of the health system. And are driven by people's access to social, economic and cultural resources Mm. and opportunities. So we're trying to look at what's happening in the bigger picture to create those health inequities in the first place. And we know that in sexual and reproductive health in particular, these health inequities are quite gendered. Um, So we work from a gendered intersectional approach. Mm. Beautiful. And health promotion is something that I know that you have quite a lot of literacy in Jacinta as a health promotion worker, but also something that a lot of us do without realising. I think especially in community health spaces, when I started working with Wynn and when I interviewed, I was like, why am I applying for a health promotion role? I've never done that before. I don't know that I actually do health promotion. And then you realise how long you've been doing it for. (laughs) I was like, oh no, this is what I've been doing for (laughs) the last however many years. (laughs) Yeah, even if you don't have the theory behind it necessarily, you're still kind of naturally doing those health promotion roles throughout your career. Yeah. And so I think a lot of um, what we do is considering the system that, especially in sexual and reproductive health, considering the system and environment in which people access supports or in which people um, are in and consider what are potentially preventing people from leading their most healthiest lives or um, the lives that they want to lead and intervene there. So you were saying upstream before, Tilly, and in my head I had translate what those words mean because I didn't study public health and so I was like upstream that's where you're considering things that are above the individual Mm. um, or above the kind of current situation that are influencing that person's perspective so like can people afford to access care can people um you know is 
are people being targeted for their experiences because of legislation or mm. the social environment that we find ourselves in at the moment. Um, and it's a really a real privilege to be able to work in that um, upstream space and consider how can we potentially intervene or support folks before there is an issue or problem or something to navigate. Yeah, totally. What, what does that work usually look like? Uh, it can be a huge array of things. So mm. we can work in policy, advocacy, training. Uh, Amelia? <laughs> training is my bag. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've worked as a trainer for six years or so now. Um, so what we look at from a training perspective is either working with um, healthcare generally, healthcare workers. So that's workers. capacity building. Capacity building. Yep. So building folks um, who are in the service delivery kind of roles, um, their capacity to be able to work in a um, in a way that is cognizant of the experiences of the people that they're they're working with. So yep. um, we can go into like what kind of groups of, of folks we work with in a moment. Um, but so that that's one aspect of training capacity building, but also we work with the community. Mm. So um, what our community need um, in our region, so North Metropolitan Region of Melbourne, um, I imagine that's a lot. It is a lot of humans, <laughs> A lot yeah. of diverse people. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. There's so many different experiences within a local government area. So um, part of Fresh, which um, Tilly can talk to in a moment, which is the um, strategy that came out of uh, WIN last year for a sexual and reproductive health for the next couple of years, um, part of that looked at... Um, speaking to our community members mm. within our local government area and understanding what the community need was. Um, and then for us, we can then take that and figure out how we can best support that either from a capacity building perspective with um, service providers and um, people in service delivery roles, yep. but also with community. Yeah. And you've just mentioned the FRESH project, which is the Freedom, Respect and Equity and Sexual Health project. Can you tell us what that is about? Is it a report? Is it a strategy? Is it an action plan? Is it all of those things? So FRESH is our regional sexual and reproductive health strategy, uh, which has been designed to guide regional action to improve sexual and reproductive health outcomes across the northern metro region. This is a four-year strategy, um, and we've developed a two-year action plan to help guide implementation. So we know that there's undoubtedly a need for a sexual and reproductive health strategy in the north. Mm -hmm. We know that data tells us that the northern metro region is disproportionately impacted by poor sexual and reproductive health um, and there's a real lack of services in this region. Mm. Um, so, you know, for example, in five out of seven our, of our local government areas, fewer than half of the early medical abortion services received were prescribed from within the local government area, which means that Whoa. people are having to travel to other areas to receive these services mm. and a lot of that falls to City of Yarra, just being so central. Um, we also know cervical screening rates are really down, um, there's high rates of sexual violence and we have low provider rates of long-acting reversible contraception in our region as well. Um, so working across policy, advocacy, capacity building um, and looking at more of that environmental level is really important so that we can address this at multiple levels of our social environment. Um, particularly in the north we have a really vast range of experiences and people. We have inner city Yarra, which is quite different to 
the regional areas of Hume and Whittlesea. So we really need to be adapting and tailoring to those communities as well. Mm. I guess within that, there are such a diverse range of experiences, but uh, while the Northern metropolitan area you said was sort of disproportionately affected by a lack of services or a lack of understanding, certain populations within that area would be hit harder, I guess. What are some of the priority populations um, that Win and Fresh, I suppose, Mm -hmm. Pay, pay particular attention to? Yeah, great question. So WIN is a mainstream um, organisation or health promotion uh, service, women's health service. So there's a number of women's health services across the state um, and we're just the one for the North Metropolitan Region yep. of Melbourne. So mainstream service that has a number of priority populations that we've identified through FRESH. So um, FRESH being the Freedom, Respect and Equity and Sexual Health Strategy. Yep. Love it. Love an acronym. Um, So some of the um, communities that we work uh, with um, are folks who have um, their experience of gender marginalised. So that's the language that I use. Um, So that's cis women, trans women, gender diverse people, um, anyone whose experience is marginalised under patriarchy, basically. Um, We also work with um, culturally and linguistically diverse communities, Mm. of which we have, of course, many um, within the North Metropolitan region of Melbourne. Um, Also, First Nations communities um, is an area of work that we try to support. um, Local community Local community governments. um, Sorry, local community controlled um, organisations who are already doing that work and have that community trust and um, relationship. Yeah, totally. Um, So we try with any, I guess, marginalised community to amplify the work of existing community organisations as a mainstream org. Um, so we work with partner orgs in that capacity and use our, I guess, mainstream, um, resourcing that we have, um, to be able to support that work, um, in an ongoing capacity. Um, we also have a FARAP project, um, which works with communities, um, from countries with a high prevalence of, um, female genital cutting. Um, so we have, um, one of our team members works specifically, um, in that space, um, with lived experience. So in, very important in doing that work as well. Um, just trying to think of other folks that we work with. They're the main kind of groups. That That's already so many different <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kinds of experiences. Yeah, I'm just trying to think and make sure I didn't miss anyone. But um, they're the priority populations are identified within Fresh. Um, so that makes it, I guess, easier to be able to um, speak to who we work with because that's what we've heard from community as being areas of need that um, need support um, around resourcing and health promotion and taking that upstream kind of lens. Here on Well, 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 you're with Jack and Jacinta speaking with Amelia and Tilly about women's health in the North, fresh and much more. Stick around. We've got more coming up in a moment. Sexual health, mental health and the overall well-being of our LGBTIQ communities. You're listening to Well, Well, Well. You're here with Jacinta and Jack here on Well, Well, Well. And we are back with Amelia and Tilly from Women's Health in the North. Hello. And we've been having a great chat about Sexual Health Month um, and the work that WIN do. I wanted to ask, though, what are some factors, just to, you know, really clarify, what are some factors that can influence women and gender diverse people's access to sexual health and reproductive health information, support and services? Mm. So I guess, again, looking back at that bigger environmental picture and thinking about the social and cultural norms um, out there. Uh, which influence, you know, 
employment and access to financial resources, maybe people have childcare responsibilities, different levels of health literacy, um, maybe people use substances or have had interactions with the justice system and then also experiences of gender-based violence, including reproductive coercion. And we know mm. that these factors will influence different people's experiences at different levels um, based on experiences of sexism, homophobia, transphobia, mm. racism, ableism, mm. the list goes on. Uh, so we need to consider all of these as factors that either increase or limit people's access to sexual and reproductive health info, support and services. Mm. We're, we're not all on a equal playing field um, and taking an equitable approach to that is really important. Yeah. And it's it's not that because of these potential experiences that people can't access a service. Mm. It's that um, a service may not meet their needs. Um, so they may interact with a service, especially a mainstream service, and be like, oh, this person or this organisation or this company doesn't understand me. Yeah. Or they don't um, understand what I need. Or they don't speak in a way that I understand or they don't have um, multi-language options yep. um, for really complex um, issues. If we're thinking about sexual and reproductive health, there is so much information that you need to know to be a healthy individual, right? So finding ways that um, you can communicate that information to people in a way that they will understand is, I, I feel, super important. And if that isn't the case, then people aren't going to be able to live in a way that is... Um, affirm like they won't be able to access um, a service that is affirming of their experiences they won't have positive and pleasurable um, interactions with their sexual and reproductive health so I feel like those factors are it's not because of who the person is it's because of how the um, service or the system doesn't consider those yeah. experiences which is where the capacity building work that we do comes into it totally I mean you were talking about um, how People might not know how to use the language mm. or be able to understand the language mm. or because of their upbringing, their experience, I suppose. With respect to LGBTIQA plus sexual health mm. um, in particular, what are some of the gaps there um, and for the in particular for the communities that you work with? So I think, you know, we could be here all day talking about <laughs> the <laughs> gaps in LGBTIQA plus sexual yeah. reproductive health. Um, but I think a really big one um, in reproductive health um, specifically is around um, the experiences of trans and gender diverse communities yeah. who largely aren't considered in um, mainstream medical context. So you think of um, sexual and reproductive health and a lot of those systems, departments are really gendered yeah. and gendered in a cis way. Yeah. So, um, for example, I studied at university, women's health, yeah. which is gynecological health, yeah. right? It, it's not women's health. Um, so a trans woman walking into a women's health service um, would love to assume that her experiences are going to be understood mm. but and affirmed, but... That's not always the that case. That is not always the case and very rarely the case yes. more so. Um, it's even so, like a walking into like the women's hospital, for example, and I'm not slagging um, that hospital at mm. all. They do great work. But um, a really poignant example I'm um, remembering is a trans mask friend of mine um, was talking about the statistics of um, trans people 
accessing emergency care through the emergency department, mm. um, especially if it was something to do with um, reproductive system or right. um, mm. in this instance, like a gynecological issue. And um, the number being really, really small, um, the amount of people that would actually present to the ED um, if they had an issue. Yeah, Yeah. and the way that he described it is he's like, it's not because you'd go to walk through the door and you'd bounce off like it's a force field. Um, It's because, (laughs) you know, walking into that space that is everywhere is pink and Mm. everything says women's health, like you just know that the experience you're going to have is going to be difficult yeah um to advocate for yourself the whole way through the experience to correct people's incorrect assumptions yep. um to deal with people's like potentially invasive questions yes um so it's like this is the amount of people that can access this care it's not again it's not because of um that individual or their experience mm. it's because of the exchange that they're likely to have or the anticipated experience or previous experiences yeah that mean they don't want to put themselves through that, especially when they're already in pain or mm. um, already feeling vulnerable. So when we're thinking of other gaps, like, you know, when we're thinking of gaps, that's a glaring huge one to me mm. is like the having to navigate that. And so the need for community controlled health orgs um, and health services to me is huge. Um, also, um, like Tilly, I'm sure has much to say about this as well. But from my perspective, like I do a lot of reproductive health focused stuff. And especially in queer communities, we don't talk about families and family planning. No. Um, We talk a lot, which is one of my very big passions. Um, We talk a lot about sexual health, which is really appropriate because, you know, we're a very sex positive, largely community, um, inclusive of our asexual friends. Um, But sexual health practice um, and sexual health is really important to a lot of us. Um, So we talk about sexual health a lot, but we don't talk about reproductive health from a if we do want to have families, mm. how might we go about that way? Um, so that's an area in which I try and do a lot of yelling about. Yeah. <laughs> Positive yelling, <laughs> but yelling nonetheless. Before going probably more into the sexual health space, I stay in the reproductive mm. health space yeah. as well um, and think about those communities who don't want to start a family and managing mm. their fertility in mm. that way. Mm. Um, we still need to consider access to abortion and long-acting reversible contraception mm. um, and, you know, for our trans and gender diverse communities, considering how that interacts with hormones mm. as well. Mm. Um, in terms of a sexual health space, um, you know, we know that HIV prevention is in a really good place at the moment, Um, such a fantastic public health success over the years, but we know that a lot of that has been targeted at men who have sex with men Mm. and we're missing some key communities who are at risk as well. Um, So making sure that messaging around HIV risk is tailored to different communities Mm. too. Yeah, Mm. yeah, because people would be looking at places like when maybe instead of somewhere like Thorn Harbour Health because, you know, depending on where you see yourself reflected and represented. Yeah. 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 If you're from communities that you see more of at Wynn, for example, um, than at Thorn Harbour Health, that may be the case. Um, And that's why I think it's really important to work in partnership Mm. um, across the community health um, sector because we all have the common goals. Um, It's just what feels um, accessible or what feels um, like your experiences are represented is where people will go. Um, so we really try and, and work collaboratively in that way. Um, 
Also, I think there can be some mixed messaging or missed opportunities mm. to work with um, queer women um, and, again, queer folks of all gender experiences um, around when we're talking about pleasure and, like, pleasurable sexual health, um, considering what that looks like instead of just talking about sexual health risk mm. and... Um, you know, because as much as that's really important um, and vital to be able to communicate around with your partner or partners, um, also spending some time in the like joy part of like, what do I want from my mm. connections? You know, what do I want for my sexual relationships? What do I want for my romantic relationships? And considering that pleasure mm. um, as opposed to like, you know, just spending time thinking about risk like yeah. also thinking about what do I want yeah yeah like sexual health is so much more than just totally. like clinical stuff yeah yeah, yeah. like sec- being sexually healthy is also being you know experiencing pleasure and joy and connection and feeling satisfied and like happy after the weekend <laughs> and like you know that's not always the case I'm not saying it's like you know um positive psychology like oh my god just be happy but like (laughs) you know when we're thinking about our sexual health also give thought to what pleasure looks like for us like you know what pleasure looks like with the different connections you have in your life um are there any other tools that are out there that people can use to feel more confident about their sexual and reproductive health or is there stuff that you're working on like is there, are mm. there no tools out there currently or very few and you're working to change that? Look, there's a limited amount of tools out there at the moment that covers everything that we would love them to, but there are some really fantastic organisations doing work in this space. For example, 1-800-MY-OPTIONS, which is Victoria's statewide phone service and online database, which maps out... Uh, sexual and reproductive health services across Victoria. Sexual Health Victoria also does fantastic work. Mm. Um, Amelia? Um, Look, I think knowing what your sexual and reproductive health rights are Mm. um, is really important when you're then considering how to advocate for what you are able to access or what you deserve or what... um, what is your right, basically? Mm-hmm. So um, people might not be familiar with what they actually are able to access or should be able to access, what they should be able to ask for. Um, so familiarising yourself with um, what your rights are as a consumer of a service, um, as an individual in the world, um, is a, a great first step. Um, but also I'd really love to see there to be some resources to be able to support people to advocate for themselves if they are unable to access something for a re- some ridiculous reason mm-hmm. um, or they've been told no or there is a wait list that is absolutely untenable or mm, the cost yeah. um, of something is absolutely inaccessible mm. or any other reason why there is a barrier for someone to be able to access support when they are entitled to that support. So I'd love to see some advocacy tools developed. Perhaps that's something we could put our heads together for. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, because it is really hard when um, to advocate for yourself, especially when there are those power discrepancies, yeah. um, especially when you've put yourself out there in a vulnerable position, especially around something relating to your sexual or reproductive health. Like it's a vulnerable um 
part of life anyway. Yeah. Um, so then having the additional burden of trying to like push back against the system, um, a lot of people will just go, no, I can't, mm. I don't have the energy. They just tap out. Yeah. yeah um, because it takes extra resourcing to be able to do that. And what we know is a lot of our communities don't have that extra resourcing. Mm. Um, sometimes it can take mutual aid. Sometimes it can take community support and um, like, friend and chosen family advocacy mm. as well um like we make it work um within our communities but i'd love to see um something that looks at um supporting self or community advocacy in that sexual reproductive health space because um you know hopefully we can then start to address some of those um barriers that mm. get in the way of people being able to yeah be their most um, healthy sexual selves. Um, and yeah, whilst we're also addressing the upstream stuff. So looking at uh, um, advocacy, advocacy letters, looking at policy submissions, um, challenging the systems that don't suit us. Well, I, I suppose on that note, before we wrap up, if people want to find out more about uh, women's health in the North Wind, where can they find out more? Uh, so you can visit our website, which is www.whin.org.au. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and you can reach us via email at info at and ask for Tilly or Amelia. <laughs> Wonderful. And we'll see you at the LGBTIQ plus women's health conference in October. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> it's going to be great. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today and it, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear more about the work that you do at Win, and we wish you all the best with the work that you do moving forward. Thanks, folks. Happy Thank you. Sexual Health Month. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Well, 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 supported by Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. For more LGBTIQ plus health and wellbeing and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.